Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you want to find that in your copy of Scripture, we'll read it in just a moment. I don't know how much uh, I've shared about my growing up experience with you as a, as a church, but let me clue you in on something that happened when I was growing up. My, my parents put us, my brother and sister and I, in Christian school, and then home educated us. And, uh, and that's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's just kind of the way they raised us. Where that becomes interesting is in the fact that uh, there were a lot of things that my parents tried to protect us from growing up. And so there's like a whole generation of pop culture that I missed. And my wife didn't miss those things. And so there are times that we'll be in conversation with things or, or, or you know, she'll say something. And I have no idea what she's talking about because I'm, I missed that. I was kind of sheltered from that. That was my experience as a teenager. Part of me kind of is happy about that. I'm not disappointed that that I missed some things. I don't think I really missed much. Of course, I don't know. I I missed it. So I don't really know what I missed and what I didn't miss. The reason I'm sharing that is because there are some experiences that I've had that may be unique to someone who's gone to seminary. And, And I'd like to introduce you to a particular type of individual that I met in some of my seminary classes. There was always the guy in seminary that when we were in a classroom setting, he had the knack of asking the professor a question that did more to show off his intelligence as a student than it did to try to ask the professor what the professor thought about it. Now, I have no idea why this is the case, but that guy always had a beard. I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to read anything to the end of that, but maybe it was because he was 18 and he could grow a beard and that's what happened, but that was the guide. Often those particular students in seminary and Bible college were enamored with the discipline of apologetics because they would take a, a book that they had read, Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ or another apologetics textbook. They'd read it and then they would come back and they would try to argue with everybody about what they had read. They would try to convince um, people on a seminary uh, uh, campus and they would try to convince everybody they met that you needed to follow Jesus this way because of this apologetics textbook. The reason I'm sharing this is because maybe you never met that guy. I met several of those guys, those individuals through my seminary career met a few more of them as I've taught at a Bible college in Hendersonville over the last several years as well. The reason I'm sharing that with you is because 1 Peter 3.15 is the verse that apologetics uh, really finds its root in, at least in terms of the term apologetics. The word defense there that we find in our text is the Greek word apologia. It doesn't mean to apologize. It means to make a defense for And the discipline of apologetics is simply the discipline of making a defense of biblical Christianity. Part of my doctoral work was in the field of apologetics, and so I've grown to love this particular discipline. And what I'd like for us to do is just read this passage of Scripture, and we're going to unpack several aspects of being a gospel witness, or what it means to be a gospel witness, thinking at it, or thinking about it, from this framework of Christian apologetics. Begin reading with me in verse 13. 
Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard or honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, and those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. When I talk about apologetics, uh, there, there are several aspects or several ways that we could discuss it. Simply by that term, I mean a, making a defense for biblical Christianity. In other words, when someone questions a biblical doctrine or evangelism, the discipline of apologetics teaches uh, a student or a practitioner, or even a, an everyday Christian, how to make a case for Christianity, how to defend Christianity in light of that particular argument or that particular challenge. As such, the discipline is a supporting discipline because it needs some other bits of knowledge and understanding in order to, 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 be, to work most effectively. One of the ways I've described it in, in classroom settings is I would say that apologetics is the connecting discipline between culture, theology, and evangelism. What I mean by that is that the culture around us constantly asks questions of biblical Christianity or makes observations or claims that are in discord with biblical Christianity. In other words, our culture is not a biblical culture, and so the claims, the values, and the priorities of the day and age in which we live are at odds with Christianity, right? And, and that's not too surprising. And theology is simply the study of knowing God and what God says about our world, uh, evangelism is the idea of sharing the Gospels and hoping that someone will trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. What apologetics does is it connects those three arenas. It, it understands the questions the culture may ask or the challenges the culture may present. It recognizes how theology or theological answers, biblical answers, can deal with those particular issues. And then apologetics, for it to truly be apologetics, is not about winning arguments. It's about winning people to Jesus Christ. The motivation of apologetics is evangelism. It's not primarily about me being able to make a good case for this argument and defend a specific argument. It's helpful there, but the goal is to win people to Jesus. Now, I say all that, and you're sitting here thinking, well, do I need to become an expert in apologetics before I can speak to the Christian faith? I don't think so. I don't think you need to become an expert in anything but Jesus before you do anything with regard to your Christian faith. And that's exactly Peter's point in this particular text. He shares with us some aspects of what it means to be a gospel witness and to speak clearly to a world that desperately needs an answer for the hope that you and I do have. See, defending our faith is learning to speak about the hope that you and I experience. The hope that we are going to heaven one day. The hope that we've been forgiven. The, the hope that we are not at home in this world, but our home is in another world. The hope that the suffering we're dealing with today is not going to be the suffering we're dealing with in eternity. And not just a hope. Peter's term of hope, remember, if you go all the way back to chapter 1, this isn't wishful thinking. 
This is guaranteed. This, this is the idea of something that we're longing for today, but we know is going to happen tomorrow because it's a hope based on a promise that God has never broken. So we're going to look at three aspects of learning to witness from this passage of Scripture. Here's the first aspect. I want you to get this. Our circumstances provide the opportunity for witness. The context here is Peter has been addressing the the church about the suffering that they are facing and will face. In other words, he's letting the church know, he's preparing them for the fact that difficult days are ahead. If they've not faced difficulty yet, they're going to face difficulty tomorrow. If it doesn't come tomorrow, it'll be next week or next month. They're going to face some troubling times. And in light of the fact that they are Christians that they're living uniquely in a pagan Greco-Roman world, the way that they behave and the character and the attitude of their behaviors, their conduct, they're not worshiping idols, is going to make them stand out in the world in which they find themselves. And that's probably going to make them a target for persecution and suffering. In fact, that's exactly what happened with the early Christians. They lived differently, they talked differently, they acted differently, and so they were targets of emperors like Nero, who would preside over Peter's death, and many other Roman emperors down the line who would persecute the early church. And so they faced suffering. So what Peter says is in light of suffering, he's telling the church, live a certain way because that suffering and the way you handle that suffering may give you an opportunity to tell someone why you can face that suffering with hope. If you go back and think what Peter's done in his argument so far in the letter, remember that example that we've gone back and forth to a number of weeks now where Jesus went to the cross, he was reviled, but he didn't revile. He was spoken ill of, but he didn't speak ill in retort. He took the cross ultimately so that we could be forgiven. But that model is important for us in Christian witness. Because there are going to come times in your life and in my life where we suffer unjustly, We suffer unfairly, or very simply, we go through a time that's not so much suffering in the sense of someone targets us and we're persecuted, but we may go through a period of time of sickness or ill health or or something that we can't explain. What Peter's saying here, the way we handle that could provide us an opportunity to witness. Because when you think about it, there are a lot of ways to handle difficult circumstances. We can fight about it. We can fuss about it. We can take our complaints to a complaint department. We can call and make sure that our rights are are, are fulfilled. We, We can debate. We can groan. We can complain. And and that's just what we did yesterday, right? Based on what's going on in our lives. What Peter is saying is that when we face those difficult circumstances, if we do so with the character of Jesus, we're going to look different to a world that doesn't act that way. And when we do, it provides us an opportunity to be a witness. Did you catch the way Peter phrased that? Let us always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. Now, I'm going to tell you in just a moment that we shouldn't wait on someone to ask us about our faith before we tell someone about our faith. But in this particular context, what Peter is saying, your actions and your character by the way you handle suffering and difficult situations will provide you an opportunity to speak to why you can go through that difficulty with a smile on your face and confidence in your heart. Well, why is that? Because Jesus is with us. We can be guaranteed of that, and it gives us an opportunity to witness. 
Joe Green, in his commentary on 1 Peter, he put it this way. He, he said this, That is that the contemporary suffering should not be confused with ultimate harm. When set within the grand story of God's will, the severity of present day suffering is assuaged. The reality of suffering is not denied, nor is this cancerous malice cured. But the crisis of suffering is lessened by its reinterpretation of 1 Peter by means of assurance that the life chapter currently being written is not the story's finale and that present suffering effectively serves the overarching salvific aim of God. Now, we're not getting into a full-on defense of suffering or speaking to all of those issues today, but Joel Green notices something that I think is really helpful for us to grasp. Sometimes it is so easy for us to get caught up in our own situations, sufferings, depressions, frustrations, difficulties, and and we start focusing internally. Okay, how do I get out of this? How do I solve this? How How do I fix this? How do I make this change? How do I get how do I get by? And that's not altogether inappropriate. But if we're not careful what it does, it it leads us to believe that the primary experience of our life is the suffering that we're facing here. What Peter is very careful to do all throughout the letter, indeed Paul does this as well, is remind us that the suffering of this world is temporary. Do you get that? Yes, we're going to have hard days here. Yes, things aren't going to be fair. There are some things that you're going to face that are not going to be right. There are some things this side that are not going to be solved. But do you really, really realize that that may be 80 years of your experience on earth and you've got an eternity when none of that happens? For an eternity, there will be no cancer. There will be no heart disease. There will be no surgeries. There will be no mean neighbors. There will be no abusive spouses. There will be no evil in the experience that we have eternally. The suffering of this day is temporary. The suffering of, the, uh, uh, of eternity is nowhere to be found for those that are followers of Jesus. It's gone. So one, one thing that helps us with our perspective, if we realize that and remember that, then we can see suffering instead of as a crutch or a difficulty or something to completely limit us, we can see suffering as an opportunity, as a means by which God may use us to speak the truth of the gospel into someone else's life. Get this. We need to remember that the suffering in this life is temporary, But the suffering for those who are unbelievers in this life is permanent in the next one. As Christians, we ought to be deeply encouraged that all of the things we go through, this COVID pandemic and all that it's done to us and isolation and and the health situations you face and the, the difficulties, all of that, it's real. I don't want to minimize that, but it is not going to be here one day for us. We get a heaven that doesn't include any of that. But I want you to really, really think about this. The things that we're facing today that are suffering are nothing compared to eternal separation from God. And for those in your relational circles, those neighbors, those family members, those co-workers, those those in your own homes that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior yet, the suffering there will never go away. 
And so it should shape the way that we perceive our own situations. We should see our circumstances as an opportunity for witness. Not just the circumstances that are suffering. That's the the specific context for Peter. But listen, we ought to let all circumstances that we experience be opportunities for witness. Soccer fields, baseball diamonds, restaurants, neighborhood walks, co-workers, chats in the hallway, meeting someone on an airplane, or or getting, getting gas can be an opportunity for you to have a conversation that could lead to the gospel. We ought to learn to see all of the circumstances around us as opportunities for gospel conversations. Even if it's not, it doesn't always go there. I'm amazed by the way that God provides me conversations with people for the, with the gospel. Sunday school classes. Invite lost people to Sunday school. It's weird. It's pretty cool. In a pandemic talked with a lady yesterday who's been attending a Sunday school class and she's unsure about her salvation started a gospel conversation it's amazing what God will do providing us gospel conversations if we'll be attentive to that if we'll be aware of that so our circumstances provide the opportunity for gospel witness or for a witness how about this one our fears are often the obstacle for witness isn't that the truth uh, a number of years ago, before I came here to be your pastor, I had the privilege of leading some evangelism training seminars at different places across our nation. And, and inevitably, I would go to a, a location and meet with pastors and church leaders and Christians who wanted to learn how to witness. And we would get to that section where we talk about obstacles for evangelism. And, and no doubt, they, many of these same obstacles are present in the room here. Uh, if I were to ask you why you don't share your faith, you might say things like, well, I'm not sure I would know what to say. Or, or you might say, I'm afraid of what someone will think of me. Or you might say, I'm afraid of being rejected Or or you might say something like this. We might be afraid of of the cancel culture and how dare us if we take our gospel witness into a public setting like our jobs. I don't know what in the world someone down the the aisle is going to think of me if I speak a gospel witness, a Christian witness, and that is at odds with the things that contemporary culture wants us to believe. So we're We're fearful. In my experience as a pastor and as a Christian, the primary reason for people not sharing their faith is a fear. Now, that is expressed in different ways and for different reasons, but it's a fear. I want you to catch what Peter says. He's talking about those who, uh, who, are, who are the cause of our suffering. He says, "...have no fear of them, nor be troubled." Do you realize how often our lives have been limited by our fears? If you could go back and and rethink decisions you've made or decisions you didn't make because of fear, would it change some things that you've done or would it change some decisions you made in life? I bet it would. I know for me it would. That there were some times that fear overran my faith. That fear kept me from doing something that that I think God wanted me to do. Uh, And fear drives us away from trusting God. 
It keeps us from being obedient. If if I took a poll of the room, I'm not going to do this, but if I asked you how many of you have shared your faith recently, and then if I asked you the reason why you didn't share your faith, fear might be one of those reasons. But I want you to grasp this. Peter says we don't have to be afraid of what anybody thinks or what anybody may do to us if we share the gospel. Why? Because we have a Lord who is absolute and in control. Our praise team sang about it. Jesus is the one who wins the victories. All the battles are already won. There's no reason for us to be afraid of what someone may think of us if we share the gospel with them. There's no reason for us to be afraid of what someone may think of us if they reject the gospel. I've only been rejected, well, I've been rejected hundreds of times after I've shared the gospel, but I've only been rejected with an attitude like, say, twice. Most people are quite nice and quite polite when, when they say they're not really interested or, or they're not sure or, because we're concerned for their soul if we approach sharing the gospel correctly. So uh, the point is that we don't need to be afraid. Fear is an obstacle. How do we get over that fear? Well, we fear the Lord. Should you catch this? When we recognize who God is as holy and as great and as mighty and as wonderful and as amazing as he is. And he tells us to share our faith. You know what? I, I care a lot more about what God thinks of me than what my neighbor thinks of me. And how about this for perspective? There's going to come a day when you and I stand before a holy God. There's going to come a day when your neighbor stands before a holy God. And I'm going to be really ashamed if the reason I didn't share my faith with them is because I was afraid. Because that person is going to spend the rest of their eternity in fear and in separation from God because I was too afraid to share my faith with them. Listen, faith, fear is something that is, not, is an obstacle that we should know that we can overcome because God is with us. Notice how Peter relates it. He says, regard or honor Christ the Lord as holy. Christ the Lord. He's in charge. That doesn't just mean that he's in charge, he gets to tell me what to do. That means he's in charge, he's in control of all the circumstances. You know what? So what if somebody's bothered when you share the gospel with them? I'd rather them be bothered and hear the gospel than separated from God forever. Amen? Sometimes our fears are the obstacle for witness. Our fears keep us silent. They tam down our hope. They give victory to the enemy rather than to God. So so what's our solution? Well, here's, here's the solution. Our Lord gives us the obligation for witness. Our Lord Jesus tells us that we're to witness. Notice how Peter phrases this. He says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He's going back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus taught us to pray. You remember that phrase? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Of course you do. You've quoted that. You've prayed that out loud on a number of occasions. Similar phraseology that Peter picks up on here. He says, honor Christ the Lord as holy. What's he saying? He's reminding us that the primary motivation for our sharing the gospel is not the salvation of the sinner. Sounds surprising, right? Primary motivation for sharing the gospel is obedience to our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. 
The primary motivation is that Jesus is Lord and I am going to serve him. He gets the right to say what happens in my life and what happens with my mouth and what happens with my witness and walk. He is in control. And if he's really in control and I really bow my heart before him, then I'll obey him. If we say, yes, Lord, we don't really mean it if we don't mean that he is Lord. There's only one appropriate response when we recognize that Jesus is in charge, and it is yes. And he's said to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. He says that we're to be a witness, we're to share the good news of Jesus with others. Why? Because he cares about their soul. It's, it's, an, it's an issue of obedience for us. Always being prepared to give an answer, a defense. It's the Greek word apologia. It doesn't mean to apologize. We're not apologizing for our faith. There's too much of that going on in our world today. Uh, I don't mean that we shouldn't apologize when we're wrong. I just mean that we don't need to apologize for what the Bible says because God's not wrong. Can I get an amen? We defend what the Bible says and speak. What does that, what does that mean? It means that we share. We, we share what Scripture says. We do so with gentleness and respect. Do you realize that if you're, you care about another person and you have a conversation with them and you're respectful of them, 90% of the time they're going to hear what you have to say even if they don't agree with it? I've got a good friend of mine who I've shared the gospel with on uh, about a half dozen occasions now. And we've talked and he is not a believer. He's not interested in things of faith. I think God's working in his heart. But, but he's just not interested. But he respects me and I respect him. And so we continue that conversation. Because I'm not trying to beat him over the head. I don't believe that getting him to pray some kind of model prayers or, or formula prayer is the solution. I think the solution is for him to bow his heart to King Jesus. And the only time that's going to happen is when God's ready for that to happen and when he's ready to repent and believe. So why shouldn't I have gentleness and respect? Well, we should. We should have gentleness and respect, patience. But we should share the good news of Jesus and be willing to give an answer for the uh, for, the, for the hope that we have in Jesus. Tom Schreiner in his commentary puts it this way. He says, The truth of the gospel is a public truth and it can and should be defended in the public arena. This does not mean that every Christian has to be a highly skilled apologist for the faith. It does mean that every believer should grasp the essentials of the faith and have the ability to explain to others why they think the Christian faith is true. One commentator remarked this, the difference between the Christian faith and the mystery religions was for the mystery religions, they required the secrecy of their adherence. So in the context, here's what's going on. The, the faiths that Peter's believers would come in contact with were a part of an organization or a community or, or a worship group that, that basically you had to be invited to be initiates. And, and they didn't tell everybody what was going on. They kept it to themselves. Well, the opposite is Christianity. Christianity, we're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. We're not supposed to be quiet about the hope that we have. We're supposed to tell others the hope that we have. We're supposed to declare that. And you don't have to be an incredible gospel witness. You don't have to be completely trained in order to be a good evangelist. You just have to be willing to share what you know and share who you know. Share what you know about Jesus and share who you know, share that you know Jesus. Let me get real specific for just a moment. When you came in, I gave you, uh, or I didn't give you, one of the ushers gave you um, a bookmark. It's, who's your one? 
This is something put together by the North American Mission Board a, a couple of years ago, really. And it asks the question, who's your one person that you're going to pray for and seek to evangelize uh, in the course of your daily experience? It, this is, gives you a 30-day scripture reading and devotional guide to pray for uh, that person that, that's lost. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do specifically. All of us in the room, all of us are watching, you know that the people that don't know Jesus, they're going to spend eternity separated from God. I mean, you know that. I know that. It, it should break our hearts. And we also know that we have an obligation to share what we know with that person. So what I'm going to ask you to do is pick one person. You may have more and you may want to put more down, but pick one person, write their name on that who's your one card. You don't have to do it tonight, but take it with you. And then just pray for them every day over the next 30 days. Those passages of Scripture are a good way to do that. I've got several on my prayer list that I've been praying for. There's actually a devotional guide that runs along with this. You can pick that up as you leave. I don't have enough copies for everybody, but I've got enough copies for some of you if you want to take that devotional guide and pray with it. But, but what do you share? How do you share? Hey, Pastor, you, you've told me all this sermon that I'm supposed to share. Uh, will, you, will you train us to share? Well, I can. We could spend some time in evangelism training. But, but let me just give you a picture that lets you know, I don't, I don't think you have to know everything that you could possibly know to be a good witness. Here's the picture. How many of you who have kids and grandkids went through a training course to tell other people about your kids and your grandkids? Did anybody go through that training course? It doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. No one told you how to share what you knew about your children and your grandchildren. I thought being a parent was obnoxious, hearing about parents tell about, tell about their children. And then I got around some grandparents. And I love you, grandparents. I, I love my dad, who's a granddad. I, I love my mother-in-law, who's, who's a grandmother, Grammy. I, I love them. But man, they, they can't stop talking about their grandkids and showing pictures. How many, catch, how many of you who are grandparents now, do you even want to compare the number of pictures of your grandkids to the number of pictures you have of your children? I mean, it's not even close. And you will share that picture as soon as you can pull your phone out. You'll tell about what's going on in your grandkids' lives. Why? Because you know them and you're proud of them and you love them. Do you get the analogy? If you know Jesus... You can share Jesus. Now, it helps to know more about Jesus. It helps to read the scripture. It, it helps to be trained or read good books. It helps. It, it doesn't hurt. It's just like talking about your grandkids. It helps to know your grandkids better tomorrow than you knew them today. To share about them better or in a more uh, factual way or more helpful way. It helps. But you don't have to be to know everything there is to know to share something that you know. And for every one of you in this room, you know that moment in your personal history when Jesus came in and convicted you of your sins and saved you and redeemed you. And if you can't share anything else, you can share that with somebody. So I'm going to ask you this Easter season to do something that's really important for us as followers of Jesus. And it's really a big deal. I'm going to ask you to pray for that one person on your list. 
And I'm going to ask you to pray that God will give you an opportunity to share Christ with them. Maybe that God will give you an opportunity to invite them to church. Some of you have been so faithful to share our, our worship services through Facebook. That's easy, right? That's an easy click. Why don't you invite somebody to church? Why don't you go to a person and say, listen, I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, but I know he changed me. Would you like to know how he could change you? Listen, I'm asking you to take seriously this expectation to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Here's what we're going to do as we close. We're going to sing a song and we're going to pray. But when we sing that song, you can come to this altar and pray. And I'll be honest with you, I think it would be fantastic if you already know who that person is, like I know who my person is, it'd be a good thing for you to do to take some of this invitation and begin praying for that person. It'd be a good thing for you to do that. Or maybe you don't know who it is you should pray for. Uh, why don't you take some time and ask God who it is you should pray for? But make a commitment that at some point this Easter season, you're going to share the good news of Jesus with someone who... If they don't know Jesus, we'll spend eternity suffering and apart from God. Stand with me, if you will. Lord, I come to you. We come to you. And we realize that we have much to be thankful for. You intervened in our situations at some point in, the, in our past, and you saved us. You redeemed us. You forgave us. Thank you for that. Lord God, I pray that you would uh, make us ever more grateful and joyful for the salvation we've experienced. Lord, I pray that you give us strength in the suffering we face, the difficulty and the challenge. Help us, Lord God, to experience that and experience it in faith and experience it in a way that makes us stand out. Not because people need to see us, but they need an opportunity to see you and know that the strength we have is supernatural. It comes from you. Help us in our suffering and our difficulty and our challenge to live in a way that points people to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would open our mouths and help us to be gospel witnesses. Lord, you know those that have been on my prayer list for months and sometimes even years that I'm still praying you would open their eyes and help them to see that they need Jesus. Lord, I pray for them today. I pray for them in this moment. I pray for those names that are going to be written down on the cards tonight. Tomorrow, on Sunday, I pray for them. I pray, Lord, that at some point this Easter season, you would speak the gospel to these individuals through a worship service, through a sermon, through a gospel invitation, through a conversation from a church member. However it may be, I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to that lost person the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that some of those lost people would become saved people, found people, that you would open their hearts, that you would make them alive, that you'd bring them into a relationship with you that you would redeem and forgive them, that you give them the hope that we have. I pray for their salvation and their souls. Lord, make us faithful. Make us willing. Use us. We come to you just as you are. Take us as we are and use us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 